Hey, I'm Mason King, host of the IBJ Podcast. And before we get into this week's episode, I want to tell you about the newest podcast from IBJ Media called Off the Record with the Indiana 250. In each episode, IBJ Media CEO Nate Feldman talks with a different leader on the Indiana 250 list of the state's most influential leaders. They discuss their vision for Indiana's future, their experiences in business, and their advice for other aspiring entrepreneurs. New episodes are released on select Thursdays. So go subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform so you can never miss an episode. Just search the Indiana 250 off the record. Thanks. This is the IBJ podcast for the week of December 11th, 2023, brought to you by Taft. I'm your host, Mason King. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Our guest this week is Morgan Lucas, whose last name literally is up in lights on downtown's biggest stadium, although he probably could wander through a crowd of 60,000 Indianapolis Colts fans in near-complete anonymity. He's the president of Lucas Oil Products and quite literally grew up with the company. His parents, Forrest and Charlotte Lucas, founded the firm in 1989 when Morgan was about seven years old. His youth and tween years were spent in part making deliveries to early customers and playing with Hot Wheels at trade shows under the table bunting at the Lucas Oil booth. Then he discovered drag racing, and the die was cast. From 2004 to 2016, he won about two dozen titles and started his own racing team. And that experience under the hood of his business gave him a decent footing as he transitioned to the family company and tried to learn all facets of developing, testing, and selling engine and gear oils for cars, trucks, marine crafts, motorsports vehicles, and industrial machines. It's a tough company to get your arms around as it sells more than 300 products in 48 countries and maintains several subsidiaries loosely related to sports and farming, transportation, and metal fabrication. Now, Morgan was named president in 2020 and effectively now serves as the company's CEO. In an unusual bit of mirroring of the firm's founders, Morgan is married to the company's chief administrative officer, Katie Lucas. In this week's edition of the podcast, Lucas recounts what it was like growing up with hard-charging entrepreneurs as parents, how he and his wife have geared their relationship at home and at work, the value of being the naming rights sponsor for Lucas Oil Stadium, and the recent decision to relocate the company's headquarters from California to Indianapolis. Here's our conversation. It's my pleasure to welcome to the podcast, Morgan Lucas, president of Lucas Oil Products. Morgan, thanks for making time to talk today. Uh, thanks for having me. It's uh, really exciting to be here. You know, something I forgot to ask you when we were getting ready for the interview, are you staying downtown today for the Performance Racing Industry Trade Show, which will take place at the Indiana Convention Center and Lucas Oil Stadium? I, you know, I'm not actually. Uh, my wife and I, between uh, our two boys and their crazy athletic schedule and all the other things that happen with our normal day-to-day -day work, I, I've come to realize that 
as much as I love the PRI show, all it does is make me want to go spend money on a race car. And I just, I, old habits <laughs> die hard, you know? I got I to gotta stay away. And I'm very wise. Good decision. Lucas Oil Products was founded in 1989. You can fact check me on this. By your father and your mom, Forrest and Charlotte Lucas. Uh, my understanding is they were equal partners in founding and growing the business. Your dad engineered and experimented with new oils and additives. Your mom worked on all aspects of the business, like uh, company operations, bookkeeping, paperwork, human resources, and they both attended trade shows uh, and industry events. What was it like for you to grow up in that kind of intense entrepreneurial environment? You know, I, you know, when you're a kid and you're growing up in it, you don't know any better. Um, yeah. You know, this is this is life. But in hindsight, realizing how you know things are, having other friends in in different industries, and, and you see how rare. What I grew up in really was, and to your point, yeah, my, my parents were a team. You know, my father owned a, and my mother and father owned a, a small trucking company at that point. Um, and maintenance issues, my father did a hundred percent of the maintenance himself. Uh, you know, so he's very mechanically inclined, and that's in all facets. He understands hydraulic systems as as well as he understands how a manual transmission works. Um, it's a, uh, and that that's a great obviously person for me to learn from growing up, but. Uh, he understood the need that was there for an industry that was something that our country has always been codependent on. And that is, you know, getting goods from one place to another. And, you know, truck drivers are often over overlooked, but they're the unsung heroes of uh, really so much of our day-to-day -day lives. And he, he drove trucks for a long time. He concocted this as a self-taught, you know, man concocted this formula that he tested in his own vehicles. And to be honest, it worked so well that my mother's you know, notion was maybe we should sell this to somebody else. And that's kind of the genesis of it. But, uh, you know, growing up, my parents, especially in the early years, put everything back into the company. Um, I've said it before, but they would feed me 29 cent cheeseburgers from McDonald's. You know, um, that, that's how it was. You know, we just got got by. I think the first house that they bought, actually bought together was when I was almost in junior high. Everything wow. was running and because we didn't know where the business was going to be or moving around Southern California as things were growing. And so you guys were in Southern California at, at the point. time. Yeah. yeah. It was so the materials that my father um, sourced at that point in time uh, were there. And that so it just made more sense. Uh, and that's kind of how the company really started there. My family's from Indiana. Uh, proud, proud Hoosier family. I was born here. And so you think about all of that. I remember going on deliveries with my parents, uh, my mom especially. We had a, a day cab pickup truck. as uh, a white old Ram that they bought. The thing probably had 150,000 miles on it when they got it. And it had a long bed. And I would be riding shotgun with my mom, driving to you know Calico, California to, to deliver oil to a small shop. And that's just how it was. I mean, we did everything together or independently, whatever it took to get the job done. And even those trade shows you mentioned, there was times where they couldn't find somebody to watch me. So, I mean, I, I have memories of playing under the rental sham, like the table cover uh, that we could afford at that point in time. Oh, yeah, playing sure, with yeah. like, you know, Hot Wheel cars or something <laughs> underneath that. Uh, it, it, but that's that's what you grow in, you know, and that's yeah. that's what I know um, is, you know, kind of that whatever it takes mentality. Yeah. And you, so you were since you're 40 now, you were seven ish. When they started the company. Yeah. And so you've been there for the entire time. I mean, you've grown up with the company. I have. You know, I, I did have my hiatus while I was racing, but um, I still was involved. I mean, there it's, you know, you try to understand what's going on with the company. And, and 
you know, you want to keep your your finger um, or at least your your hand in it somehow. But that's just because, again, that's what I grew up knowing. And so getting too far away from it was like getting way too far outside your comfort zone. Your dad told us uh, at IBJ in an interview in 2015 that he had never taken a vacation. So I take that to mean that you never took a vacation. You know, the... <laughs> The vacation subject is a very touchy matter for me. Um, <laughs> uh, no, no, I'm kidding. It's it, it, again, we you, to the earlier point. You know, you, you do what you got to do um, to grow it, and I, you know, I look at success like it's like riding a wave. You know, you're not always going to be on that wave, so you have to ride it the best you can while you're up there. And probably not the best analogy, but it it really I think paints a picture of where my parents were at because they just kept experiencing success after success and growth and word of mouth trends. And, and again, all of their, I think, just reinvesting uh, just their outlook on how to get the business where it was. And it came from a place of necessity. But on the vacation front, A, my dad's not good at sitting still. Never has been. His idea of relaxing is going to his ranch in Missouri and, uh, you know, working with his cattle and, uh, I mean, there's times where I've talked to him and he's driving a harvester, um, you know, and, and, and that's fun for him. I mean, he beams when he's doing that kind of stuff, but you know, the vacations that we took as a child were working vacations. We went to Hawaii once and, you know, most people think, oh, we're going to go to Hawaii and we're going to uh, sit on the beach and do all these relaxing things. And I think we got in the water once. And outside of that, it was, you know, my parents work in a trade show. And me keeping up on my homework. And, and that's fine. You know, again, it's it's also made me appreciate the fact that now with with my family, with my my, my beautiful, amazing partner in life, uh, my wife, Katie, who's much smarter than I am. So thank God she's in the business. You know, we we are very intentional about making that time yeah. um, with our kids. Uh, I feel like it'd be like looking a, a gift horse in the mouth if we weren't making that time for our kids to to give them that better life that my parents worked so hard for. Right. What did you think about it when you were, say, like a tween in early teens? I mean, do you think, wow, this is really cool or around automobiles all the time? Or were you like, you know, my life is weird and it sucks, which is what I would have been like? You know, as a, a tween, I was very awkward. You know, big overbite, braces, couldn't figure out what to do with my hair, a lot of acne. You know, pretty typical tween. So I didn't have to worry about girls too much at that point. So uh, I was very heavily invested into cars. I loved cars. Um, still do. Uh, my wife got me a 67 Chevelle for my birthday a few years back and um, right in the middle of doing kind of a updated resto on it. Yeah, but that that took root at a young age. And I mean, I was at the racetrack working on cars and doing things from the time I was 11 or 12 years old, whether it was cleaning the car or you know, learning how to rebuild an engine. And my parents really, I think, from a, a two-faceted approach were supportive of that because I, I was learning about practical application of lubricants and how engines work and, and transmissions and differentials. But I was also, you know, staying busy with something. And while they were busy, I was busy. Okay. Now you got your first exposure to drag racing when you're 10 years old, uh, attending the NHRA World Finals at Pomona Raceway. What kind of impression did that make on you? When we showed up to the track at Pomona, which was, you know, 25, 30 minutes from our house, um, it's at a fairgrounds. Uh, you know, I'd already been there, I think, at a younger age, going to the the county fair, which in California is not what it sounds like. Um, <laughs> you know, it's just mainly rides and concession stands, and that's really what it's, you know, amounts to. And 
you know, people trying to sell a spa. It's, it's like not, the Indiana state. Yeah, <laughs> I guess it is. It, yeah. Maybe there are more similarities than I realized, but it's, uh, you know, going out there, I remember we parked the car and I got out right when a pair of top fuel cars went down the track. And I mean, the noise, the vibration, everything was, I mean, insane. I mean, it would be like knowing that there's a gorilla inside of a, a an enclosure and you can't see what's on the other side, but he's upset and angry, you know? And I couldn't wait to get inside. And I'd already been going to the racetrack with my father, raced a little bit, at, um, some dirt tracks in Southern California. And I, you know, found this, this place where I could be in the pit area. I could be near the cars. Um, people were nice to me. You know, you were accepted as a part of the team, even though you weren't. And, you know, you get in there and you start meeting these drivers and you take home some busted up, you know, connecting rods or pistons or, you know, whatever you can find uh, and whatever people will give you. And you, it's, it just leaves an impact on you at that age. And uh, again, to that point, Ari was into cars. So just kind of, I think it, it, it's like a drug, right? It gets in your system. Sometimes hard to shake. So was uh, was the die cast, <laughs> as it were, at that mm -hmm. point? I mean, you're like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to race these things. Yeah, no, it, it, it was a, a fairly immediate thing for me to know I wanted to drive a car. You know, I, I did a I did have the opportunity to race uh, junior dragsters a couple times, which is a lot of fun uh, to do that. But they weren't, you know, I think big enough and loud enough for me at that point. And I found a lot of pleasure from being part of the team, the crew on this uh, uh, this funny car that I was hanging around, this funny car team. And, you know, those guys became kind of like uncles for me. And I ended up spending the next, you know, four, five years just traveling around the country with this group of guys working on cars and I was doing every job from uh, helping rebuild the engine to, uh, you know, servicing the clutch, which is involving taking the thing in and out and, and doing a lot of different odds and end jobs. But I found it exciting, you know. So this I, as a teenager. This is a teenager, you know, and I was doing this while You're I was traveling trying. with the crew here. Was, yep. was this one of the teams that your dad sponsored? Yeah, or? at that yeah. point, yeah. That helped me out a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> sure, yeah. They're a little more patient with me probably because of that. But uh, it, it was fun, man. It's an exciting way to grow up as a kid. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Oh, my God. Who wouldn't love that? Yeah. And, uh, it, there's a lot of memories. That's for sure. Did you go to college? Uh, I did not go to college. That was probably, I think, one of the things I'm most conflicted about in life. I had the opportunity to basically go racing full time and try telling a 17, 18-year-old kid that they should pick school over something like that. I was more interested in figuring out what my next helmet was going to look like uh, <laughs> less than, you know, what a degree would be like. Uh, and in hindsight, you know, I think that there's a lot of um, gain that I could have got from a practical business standpoint from just, a, you know, just understanding things. It would have, I think, just gave me a better head start um, going into the next chapter of my life. But I did have all that experience growing up around my parents in the business and seeing, you know, what transpired. And I was fortunate. I'm um, in a family mm -hmm. business situation and I had opportunities that not everybody has. Um, so I, I, I feel like in hindsight, yeah, probably should have went to school. Uh, but the reality is I still got a decent education on, on business throughout my life. Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah, that's amazing. So when did your professional drag racing career begin? 
Uh, my professional racing career started in 2004. I was asked to drive a car for uh, the late Daryl Russell, who was killed in a, a racing accident uh, a couple months prior to that. Um, made my debut in August at, uh, of all things, the Lucas Oil Nationals in Brainerd, Minnesota. Probably one of the most fun sport, like motorsports events of all time. And a really interesting place to do that. I drove two cars that entire weekend uh, because I was already committed to another program when I had the opportunity to do that. And I, I mean, just dream scenario. Uh, and I did that up until I think 2016 was my last race. And you became I mean, the head of your own team pretty quickly. Yes. I, in, in 2000, the fall of 2005, we uh, started the process of assembling our own team. Um which is not an easy undertaking, but we hire good people. And that's really what it's about. Just like any other business, you know, you're only as good as the people you surround yourself with, you know, hired people that were a lot smarter than I was about it. And, and that made it a lot easier. And it was an exciting time. Yeah. And there's a crash course in management right there. I mean, I assume you're really involved in fundraising, you're involved in personnel, you're involved in operations, like where you are. In hindsight, I probably would have been a lot better at it uh, now. But, you know, not having any real experience in those scenarios and learning on the cuff, I felt like we did a really good job. And to your point, I mean, yeah, you're involved in everything. Um, you're having to make approvals from uh, how many, you know, how much money we're going to invest into hand tools versus air tools versus, uh, you know, what truck and trailer you're going to use and buy and where you're going to source it and, 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 you know, which, you know, it, 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 there's very granular details that I was involved in. And uh, there's a lot of things that I, I would leave to the crew chiefs just because they knew a lot more than I did. Mm. Here's the thing about going to, to business school is that you don't make mistakes with any consequences. You made mistakes like with consequences. Oh, believe me. I, I, I definitely made a lot of mistakes and definitely had a lot of consequences. And uh, I can tell you, my dad is a lot more passive these days, but he wasn't afraid to let me know. Um, and th But that's good. I mean, I, I think, you know, we live in a society and culture now where people are afraid to uh, hold kids accountable and push them and drive them forward. And, you know, I, I'd like to believe that the older school mentality breeds a tougher generation. Not say it's right for everybody, but I, I'm, I'm you know, glad my dad was there to, you know, let me know whenever I needed a, you know, or kick in the butt, if you will. Right. And so you, your dad also was involved in funding the team as well. He definitely, he helped. Well, I mean, it was his capital that really kind of, it was his nest egg that made it happen. We had great sponsors over the years, uh, Geico being one of them, Toyota, a slew of others. Uh, but, you know, we would have never had that opportunity if it weren't for my family. Now, this part is just incredible to me. And I really kind of didn't believe it when I saw it. You weren't the only drag racer in the family. Well, you started your drag racing career at the same time as your my mother. And, and actually, <laughs> I think it, to be honest, she started after I did, and she she was so loved it so much that she uh, she wanted to drive. And that I'll is tell insanity. You what, it, it, it was at the time, man. I actually remember telling myself, "This is crazy. I don't know what she's doing." I mean, she's why was she doing? I, she just. I don't know. I, I think she just had a passion for the sport. She was like me. She loved the people and she thought it was cool. And uh, she got in there and she had fun. And you know what? She did pretty darn good. She wasn't like, uh, this, here's how I'm going to 
keep keep my eye on Morgan. hundred <laughs> percent. Well, I'm going to be a drag racer too. <laughs> oh, exactly. You know, I, I look at all of the baseball and basketball and all the things that we do with our two boys now as a an opportunity to bond. And maybe that was hers. Yeah. Um, but she had top of line equipment. And she had, you know, national champion help from, you know, crew chiefs to, to other people. And she took full advantage of it and had a lot of fun. And uh, whenever she'd win, I feel like I got more nervous for her to go down the track than when I was getting in the car ever. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just. Yeah. I'm sure she was nervous for you, but then you were nervous for her. hundred percent. And I'm, I'm not too bashful to admit that I'm a mama's boy. So, you know, it's, you don't want to see anything happen to mom. Did you ever have to compete against your mom or was she doing something different? Uh, we did a match race thing once where we competed against each other. And, uh, I think I, and it was in a, a what we call it a su- it's super comp drag share is a bracket category. And, uh, she won one round. I won the other. And I'll tell you what, she was beaming. And I think she held that over my head for quite some time. <laughs> that's outstanding. The one thing that's interesting to me is that like any kind of like, like cachet that you would get with your friends or acquaintances about being a drag racer would be instantly diminished if they knew that your mom was doing the same thing. Oh yeah. The thousand percent. And so it was never the thing I led with. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, it, I always had to like draw the, the the line between, well, you know, I'm driving cars that go 300 miles an hour plus, and she's driving a car that goes 170, you know, it's a little different. And in all honesty, it's still dangerous. It's still yeah. crazy. I mean, she's still wearing a fire suit and a helmet and and doing all the, you know, at the end of the day, really the dumb things that we do and that's putting her life at risk. But it kind of gave me a lot of respect for my mom. She, uh, you know, most people think of their mom, especially watching her grow up in a business environment, knowing that she was a, a hairstylist, you know, or she cut hair before she even joined into that space. You know, you wouldn't expect that. You wouldn't assume that she'd be willing to even do something like that. But she, yeah. apparently I got my my risk taker jeans. I came by them pretty naturally in that situation. Now, at some point in there, you met your wife? I did. Uh, my wife, who was part of the sales team with uh, the Indianapolis Colts, we met at, at an event. I remember walked, walk, uh, where I was and seeing her walk into the room and I was like, I have to meet this woman. And then after a pathetic attempt at a pickup, uh, she felt bad enough for me that she, she went on a date with me. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, after a while she agreed to marry me and, uh, and here we are. Um, now, honestly, she is uh, an amazing woman that as Eddie White would say, I'll kick my coverage. Uh, <laughs> and, and I, I'll probably feel that way till the day I die. Yeah. Now, some people like choose spouses because like they're really alike. Some people choose them because they're really complimentary. And what was it with, with you? Well, initially it was just, she's dropped it gorgeous. Uh, that's, you know, like every guy that's in their, you know, early twenties, but then having dinner with her, I realized so much of how she's different than any other person I met prior to that, just based on her, the way that she, I think would just talk about things. She was deeper. She understood things. She was spiritual and, and all of these things that I was not used to at that point in my life, you know, used to superficial girls that you would meet at the track and she was different. And again, also extremely bright. And it just, you know, you know, you have those moments where you just know something is, is so absolutely unique about this person. And it's, it's carried on. She's definitely the opposite of me in a lot of ways. You know, she's very, black and white has to see it on paper. And I like to, you know, I, I have to see things in my mind and understand them. And 
you know, I'm more artistic. She's more on the other side of that, you know, and she's formally educated on business. She went to Kelly school. I did not. And, and we compliment each other, I think, a lot in those spaces. And that's honestly taken time for us to understand how to work together as a as husband and wife, because, you know, for me, you know, we get home and uh, it's time for bed. It's time to shut it off. Um, we have to find ways to make sure that we hold each other accountable in that regard so we can actually rest and uh, yeah. recharge for the next day. But also know when you got to dig in and roll sleeves up and get something done. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so how quickly did you get married? Uh, we we t- it took a little while for us to get married, but we ended up getting married in 2012. So it was, you know, roughly about five years. Um, and a lot happened in that. Oh, wow. Okay. That was a, I was afraid, that's, a, yeah. that's a courtship. Yeah, five yeah. years. A lot happened in that period of time. But at the end of the day, um, you know, what's right is right. Uh, and I feel like it's definitely right. Um, <laughs> I know it is. Uh, saying that for the yeah. listeners, is <laughs> absolutely right. Uh, but uh, no, we we did, and then you know we because of that amount of time that we dated, we uh, had our first son. So funny situation here is that my birthday, my son's birthday and anniversary are all within four days of each other. Oh, boy. and so for her, that's rough. That's a lot of gifts to buy um, <laughs> and plan for, but. You know, we, we, we knew, we also knew that we wanted to be able to have that, you know, second childhood in our fifties and do all those things that we've seen with her parents, what they were able to do. Okay. Let's take a quick break so we can hear from our sponsor. This is the IBJ podcast. Taft, today's modern law firm with more than 800 attorneys in eight primary Midwest markets and the District of Columbia, we provide solutions to the business issues facing middle market and emerging companies alike. We do this through a highly collaborative and inclusive team approach. Taft, the modern law firm. To learn more, visit taftlaw.com. All right, we're back with this week's edition of the IBJ Podcast, and our guest, Morgan Lucas, president of Lucas Oil Products. So you retired, retired uh, in 2016, and that was to pursue a full-time role with the company, yes. with Lucas Oil. And the, what was kind of the plan at that point? Was it to, you know, I need to to see if there's somewhere where I can fit? Or I really need to learn this whole business. This is a, a, a actually an interesting question because there's a lot of factors that played into the why. Uh, you know, I think at that time I realized my parents weren't getting younger. I had always known that I'd wanted to be in the family business. Um, uh, my parents, the legacy that they've you know built, I wanted to make sure that we carry that on. But I also wanted to provide a better life than uh, what racing could provide. Um, for my family, I also didn't want to end up like many of the people I've known over the years that have died from a racing accident and leave my wife in that situation. And just a lot of things played into it. Um, yeah, literally, that's how your career started. Yeah. 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 So it, it's kind of, you know, I didn't want it to be full circle. Uh, uh, Daryl was a great man, left a great impact on, on, on drag racing. And, um, but, you know, I don't want that to be how I, I'm remembered. And this opportunity sitting there to get involved in this amazing business, um, to learn it, still learn from my father and my mother while they're still actively involved. So I, I jumped on it. 
And you want to talk about a big change in life to go from being really good at spending money to trying to be really good at making money. <laughs> um, it's, you know, you know, drag racing. It's a, those things are reverse ATM machines. You just yeah. take a stack of hundreds and put it in the ejector. It'll, it'll spend <laughs> it. But, you know, with the, the oil side, I went straight into, um, you know, the sales team and it not the, in the function of being a guy that's traveling territory and covering, you know, accounts, but I worked with our sales management, uh, worked with, um, a lot of the sales team members individually just to try to, I think, really catch up and, and, and get re-engaged with our customer base and where things were at. And, you know, for any company like ours, um, if you want to know really, I think, where the heartbeat of the company is, you can get to know the customer. Mm. And uh, that's a really great opportunity that I, I had and I jumped on and uh, it really paved the way for the rest of basically my career up to this point. So then you started with sales, but then you, you went on to, I mean, many different departments. You know, our, our yeah, our company being that as an organic growth type of family business, it started off with my parents wearing, you know, a dozen hats each, filling a lot of roles to, you know, they started divvying that out, but you start acquiring more things and you start having more uh, diversification, so to speak, that you have a lot of people filling a lot of gaps. And I took advantage of the opportunity to you know, see a lot of vacuums and get involved in a lot of things, whether it's, you know, product development at that point, you know, sometimes you feel like you're quasi HR because uh, people talk to you about the the problems that they're facing and things that needed to be remedied. It was multifaceted and, and being again in the position that I am as the, the founder's son, I knew that I had an opportunity to, I think, to a impact the lives of the people that work with the company and get to know them better. But and I'm not saying this in an egotistical way, but I don't. I didn't look at it like people are going to tell me no, stay out of this. People, you know, were in departments where for me it was like, hey, I'm going to educate myself here. Help me out. I'm going to ask some really dumb questions. Mm. Pity me here. Um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and that 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 worked out uh, for me. Just going in with no pride, and no expectations, and just wanting to learn and 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 know how it works and understand the pain points. You know, part of drag racing is learning from every run that you make down the track and, you know, being able to download all the information and understand and try to make a better, more educated guess at going down the track the next time to be quicker and faster and better. Some of those are just, I think, part of my foundation, um, just being around that for so long and uh, kind of helped from a perspective standpoint within the company. And um, to be honest with my wife, you know, when she got more involved when our kids were at an age and in school, uh, she took that to the next level. Um, yeah. When did she start with the company? Well, I mean, she's been involved in some way for a long time. You know, even when we were having kids, she worked part-time with mm. the business. But I'd say when uh, my youngest got really wrapped up into uh, pre-K on a full-time basis uh, is when she had more time to um, dedicate to the business. And I think that was about hmm, four years ago now. I think it really ramped up during COVID, to be yeah. honest. Um, and I'll tell you, she's tenacious and in a good way. Like she's like that person that you want to work for that, but she she likes seeing all those items on the list get crossed off and get done and knocked out. And um, again, we compliment each other. Mm. And then what is her position now in the company? Uh, she's actually our chief administrative officer. You better feel like she does a lot more than even that, but that's still a lot to take on, which she heads up our HR uh, you know, team and our marketing efforts and um, spearheads a lot of that on top of being heavily invested in, over the years in our philanthropic efforts, 
community involvement and she's involved with St. Vincent's with the, the hospital from a, a foundation board standpoint, uh, edge mentoring. Um, I'm going to forget about half the thing that she's involved <laughs> with, but the, the point is that she's just, um, she lives for others in those situations. And I know she lives for the team in this company. And then you became president in 2020 reporting to your dad was owner and CEO. Yeah. Talk about a weird dynamic. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Usually it's a recipe for disaster. It, it is. And it's not, it's not without growing pains. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, my dad's ever known his work. So our relationship prior to that was up and down. And it really smoothed out a lot once we started working together. And I found, I found out how to speak Forrest um, and mm. speak his language. And, right. and I say that meaning like I could be upfront with him, be very transparent but also kind of express my opinion without it, you know, becoming an issue for him. And, you know, I started noticing it was giving me more and more rope within the program. This is leading up to my, my promotion. And then, you know, when that happened, when he was, um, you know, pushing for that, that was um, kind of a interesting passive way for him to say attaboy. Um, and that's probably one of the highlights of my, my professional life because he's, you know, he's old school. That's not the, the first thing that comes out of an old school guy's mouth is, oh, you know, great job. But he's he's now this different person. And um, I, I think he's embracing life from a different perspective. Oh, that's great. Uh, and he's still CEO? Still, well, no, he's actually the chair now. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, he's he stepped back from that. You know, he's, um, he's very focused on um, his ranch in Missouri and these things. He's, it's fun. And also a big confidence builder to know that he trusts Kitty and myself to lead what is a really great team that I feel like we've assembled. Um, we've been very aggressive with our hiring practices to make sure that we're hiring the right people with the right roles. You know, something I'm big on is having checks and balances within the organization. And I think that we're we're on the right track. My, my father, I feel like, has seen that. And we've experienced great growth and even great steps towards efficiency and uh, and we're trying to position ourselves to diversify more. And he knows that he knows that that's the future in order to maintain the same growth rate that we've had over the years. So he's, he's been very supportive of it. So just to be clear. So in the upper tier of management, you are effectively the CEO, though you are the president. Effectively. Yeah. Right. I just, mm -hmm. I just didn't want him to feel like that was my angle. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> no, that's fine. No, yeah. you know, honestly, titles for me, um, they're great. Uh, to, I think for the right people to have them, at the end of the day, um, that's not something I put a lot into. Right. I, I just want to make sure that um, our people are being led and taken care of and uh, that they have the opportunity to grow and, and build the company. Right. Effectively, the buck stops with you and your wife. Yeah. If the ship's going down, right I'm the guy going down side. with it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And yeah, she is. She's right by my side through all of it, through better or worse and not just our marriage, but our, our professional life as well. Wow. Okay. So if I ask you, like, what do you do on a day-to-day -day basis? What do, I mean, what are the, the responsibilities? I mean, you're essentially giving yourself. You know, I for me, uh, I spend a lot of time, I would say, just trying to figure out what's next. I spend a lot of time thinking about that. But um, I still stay very engaged with the sales team. You know, I work to try to monitor just looking at different reports, different things like that. You know, I try to stay involved with all the teams and all the different team members. And it's more or less this kind of, I almost feel like a weird 
uh, uncle relationship with a lot of employees because I, God bless my father, you know, but being the founder, growing a family business and, and being as involved as he was, he was one of those prototypical micromanagers of growth. And I saw the problems that came with that is that there's no succession planning in a situation like that. I, I want to make sure that our employees have the opportunity to fail. They have the opportunity to have some autonomy, but um, I like to believe that I'm the oversight in those situations. Mm -hmm. Product development is something I do take a lot of interest in. Um, we just hired a new uh, uh, vice president of product development, and that's something I'm excited about because we, when COVID hit, we went through this kind of stagnant period where you're just trying to keep your head up because materials were becoming harder to source after the fact. And we saw probably as many price increases in one year's time on materials uh, as we had in the previous decade. And that's tough. You know, you're pivoting constantly. And we shouldered the majority of those increases from a margin hit standpoint because, well, it's not on the end user. It's not their problem. And we're trying to find the way to keep that as minimal as possible because we we really appreciate our customer. And, you know, going through a lot of that, we didn't have a lot of new product development in those those years. So now we're we're really, I think, getting bullish on getting back out there and trying to be at the forefront of I think what is a very modern world of hybrids. And our bread and butter is in the used vehicle market. Um, cars of fifty thousand miles plus uh, or thirty six plus, you know, we like to believe that we can help that con consumer like save money save money on, you know, labor costs and, and, you know, fixing and repairs and just keeping them on the road. We need to make sure that we're staying at the front of that. So Lucas Oil Products is right now headquartered in Indianapolis. When did it become headquartered in Indianapolis? Very recently. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, we've, we've had a, an office here for the last, you know, four or five years. We, I mean, honestly, the race team was based here. So we've always had um, personnel here in some fashion or another. My parents, when they moved permanently back to Indiana, they relocated to Carmel. This is home for us, and there's no place I would want to raise my kids uh, other than Indiana. I grew up in Southern California. I know what it's like out there, so no, yeah. that, that wasn't going to happen. So there was no point where we ever considered moving out there. But yeah, we had to make the tough decision to um, close our California office. Material prices got so high that it was costing us 10% uh, plus on average more to make an individual unit of product. And that's, that's tough. Um, you know, when you think about that, when freight costs are less than what it costs you and the differentials in those situations, so you need to just start looking at the books, but we were very loyal to that entire team out there. But, uh, man, we were looking at that for three years, knowing that the numbers were what they were. Just uh, the cost of doing business from there yeah. was just so much more. Yeah, and it's hard. It's a, it's a tough place. California is not exactly like the, hey, come manufacture in our state kind of. Yeah. You know, they're not open arms to that. Um, it, it was when we started the business there. Uh, a lot has changed over the years in California. And, and yeah, it's a nice place to visit. I'll leave it at that. Uh, it's But I'm, I'm proud to know that our, our um, headquarters is here. Um, you know, we've had to do a lot of restaffing, retooling, you know, and to be honest, we couldn't even ask employees in California to move back here. Um, we had some move back prior to the shutdown, but it's hard. It's California laws and labor laws are very difficult. Hmm. Um, and they handcuff uh, employers to a big degree. And, and we feel like it's, it's hard when you're a company like ourselves because we feel like we've been very fair. We try to be fair and, and take care of our employees. Uh, we want everybody's life to be better for having worked at this place. So I think here... What I have noticed is that the labor pool in the Midwest is fantastic. 
lot of uh, amazingly educated people that are um, have great work ethic, and um, it's it's been a breath of fresh air. Mm -hmm. So when was the actual oh. official move? Yeah, I guess that was a real question. I kind of just, uh, no, yeah, no, I just, I give you the politician's answer. Uh, <laughs> no, the actual move uh, formally was, I'd say, last fall. Um, you know, we started the paperwork uh, to file for the headquarters swap. And, okay. and, uh, How many people were based in California? Yeah, at that point, probably about 125. You know, it wasn't a ton, um, but, you know, it was enough. And that's corporate headquarters staff, essentially. Pretty much, yes. And now all of that will be here moving forward. We, and again, we've rehired. We've, I think, actually, even to some extent, fine tooth comb departments in the effort to try to to make make ourselves better uh, and to look at where the biggest needs are. Sometimes you had people in roles you were filling vacuums that didn't need to be filled, and I think that goes with any company. You know, over time, you have to go back and take a look at how things have changed and evolved. And, and, I, and we had this opportunity to do that. And I, I think we're better off for having done it. So you're kind of in the process of reconstructing. Yeah, it's a reorg. Um, it, it's a, I'd say in every, in every sense of the word, it's, it, it, yeah. it's been a reorg and knock on wood, it's gone really right. smooth. And it's been there for about a year. Mm -hmm. And the where in town are you located? So we're on the North side right now. Technically we're in Carmel. Um, and uh, we just recently purchased a building, which would be in Indianapolis over in the Keystone area that we're in the, in the process of doing renos on right now. But again, we're proud to be here. This is a great state, um, great leadership um, at the state level and just an open arms approach to business here in general. So uh, the thing that the layman who doesn't deal in oils knows about Lucas Oil is that his name is on that stadium over there. <laughs> yes. And I honestly have to admit, I'm not, I don't know a lot about racing uh, behind IndyCar. I could not have told you what Lucas Oil Products was until maybe a couple of years ago. So you, you have the name on the building. Is there more that you can do? Uh, not just that building. I mean, you have a name on a lot of stuff. What more can you do to educate the consumer about who you are? Yeah, the uh, the stadium is a great place to, you know, have your brand showcased. But to your point, I mean, there's a lot of people that thought we were just a racing company. Um, they didn't understand what we do. And there's a lot of people that don't understand that, you know, our company was built off of the back of what I'm going to call fix-it products, additives. You know, we sell motor oils and gear oils, and we do a really great job formulating and, and putting those out there. But our I think our sweet spot of what we do the most for the general population is what we their additives is what they're called. And um, whether it's stopping leaks or cars that are burning oil on consumption and those those types of things, um, transmissions that are slipping, fixing that. I mean, that's an expensive repair for people. And so we we take pride in fixing those things. But educating is hard because a lot of people, you know, for a long time, boomers were our our biggest source of revenue because they were not afraid to work on their car. They understood it. And, and what's crazy now is there are a lot of people that are just squeamish, um, timid to lift the hood, to think about putting anything in the fuel tank. You know, cars can sometimes be a lot like infants. You know, you could think they're a lot more sensitive than they really are. <laughs> you know, um, they're, they're tougher and more resilient. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, for me, it's, it's still something that I have to take myself out of that, that situation because I'm I feel like I have a grasp on how cars work and operate and function and my comfort level is, you know, high in those situations. So we have to find ways to educate people. What's an, another reason that we've made so many changes towards our, 
approach towards you know motorsports is that we still want to be in that space because we want people to know we still have a passion for it. But the reality is the world's changed, and um, we have to go to the consumer where they are, and and that is through you know media and uh, whether it's you know digital print. You know, we have to find ways to educate people. So we put QR codes in the front of every bottle just for the the sense of you know. If, Look, sorry, if you're too lazy to spin the ball around and read the back of it, <laughs> here you go. There's videos. Here's everything you need. And and, and consumer habits are, are interesting. Sometimes people just, they have to, to have somebody tell them this is what you need. And that's fine. That's totally fair. Everybody's got a million things to worry about. The reality is, is that, you know, most of those things involve or entail your car getting you somewhere and where you need to be. And our job, and what we feel like our job is to keep you, you know, really running on the road. So education we're gonna have to start just trying a lot of things uh at our new office and facility here in indianapolis we're gonna um, have a studio dedicated to creating content that is really about educating that the consumer so their comfort level goes up so back to the stadium real quick so the original sponsorship deal is 20 years i don't know if it's up if it's up like in 2026 or 28 it kind of depends on when the thing opened uh, do you guys still plan to re-up that sponsorship deal? Well, I mean, it obviously depends on the price tag that they come back with. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess that's true. <laughs> no, we, we, we love this, this, uh, all kidding aside, you know, um, one of my closer friends is our Colts rep. Um, we have a great relationship with the organization. Um, you know, Carly and Kaylin and, and that whole group over there, they're just, it's a great family, uh, family business really. And it's, to us, it's, it's, it, it did help us put on the map, put us on the map in a lot of places that we weren't previously. And that was my father's uh, intent. How do we give the impression that we're a Fortune 500 company when we're not? Um, how do we, uh, you know, get in front of people that maybe aren't necessarily motorsports enthusiasts? You know, we had to get outside our comfort zone. And that's, again, still to this day, something we're striving to do. And, and as I mentioned before, on the digital front, you know, we're, we're looking at better brand ambassadors and better offerings and trying to, again, hit those different people. And again, go to where their passions are. But the stadium is still a massive passion point. The the NCAA games, I mean, you think about all the amazing stuff that happens with Colts games, uh, especially if you're a Colts fan this year, There's, it's exciting. It's fun to watch. But then, you know, you go to the fact that, you know, you Big Ten championship games, um, the concerts. I mean, we've got Taylor Swift coming next year. Yeah. Not that I care, but I know my <laughs> wife does. <laughs> Don't say um, that. Morgan Wall is coming down. I is officially yeah. on record as saying we care. Just you know, so we oh, no. Well, it's not, I'm not knocking her. It's just, you yeah. know, my I, I'm Morgan Wall, I'm excited about that. I'll go watch oh, that okay. show all day long and they'll be fun. You know, they're different structure, different folks, right? But uh, it's a great place. And, and we get people from all over the country that come in for events there and, Oh, I think that's some cool. of the uh, NBA All-Star Game events are going to be exactly. at Lucas I think yeah. for the first time, like in a stadium stadium. It's it's mm -hmm. exciting. So, yeah, hopefully we can maintain this relationship for a long time to come. That would definitely be a goal of ours. Uh, but, you know, until the, the ink's drying, you never can say for sure yeah, what's right. going to happen. One thing I, I forgot to ask you about that I, I thought was really kind of striking uh, when I was preparing for the interview. So your, So the company was founded by a husband and wife. And now it is being essentially run by the next generation of husband and wife. I mean, the, the, the sort of like mirror, the mirroring that goes on there is super unusual. Was that at all intentional or just the way it worked out? I mean, I assume that you know, your, your parents would be like very comfortable with, with that sort of like management 
uh, situation because they started it that way? First off, I think my parents might trust my wife's business acumen much more than my own. Um, (laughs) Rightfully so. But uh, I don't believe in coincidences. I think that um, whether, uh, you know, let's say it's a God thing or if it's a, you know, you just, if if you're one of those people that that subscribe to the secret, you know, and you just wished it into to, to existence, you manifested it and you made it happen, whatever. Uh, I, I, I think in this scenario, you know, I grew up watching my parents do it. So maybe there was this, you know, maybe that's just part of my wiring that I felt like I needed to have that partner in crime for this whole thing. And it's fun to share your journey in, with your best friend uh, you share in the grief, you share in the good, and uh, it's just kind of a it's something that I think, and to the earlier point, you don't know until the ink's drying. Uh, you know, I think that someday we're going to look back on this and uh, we're going to really be proud of the accomplishments that we made together. And, you know, for anybody out there that uh, wants to have a stronger bond with your your spouse, I suggest go build a house together. Because then you realize what common enemies are and how to tag team things and go through the process and you get this great working relationship. It, it, it'll test the strengths of things, but, uh, you know, my wife, my wife and I found a way to make it, make us better. Yeah. And, uh, just again, that's just how we, we do things. Do you have any vacation scheduled? Gosh, uh, vacation scheduled right now. Um, I think we have the intent for vacations, but we haven't put anything on the books. Um, back when I was racing, we raced in Sonoma every year. And so, you know, pre-kids, we would go to Napa um, for three days every year. Um, sounds like a real posh thing to do, but it's, man, the food's so good there. But we're going to make that a point this year to do that. And then I think, uh, you know, a friend of ours, uh, Scott Bovey and his wife invited us last year to Beaver Creek. And it was our first foray to, to, to Beaver Creek. And I mean, our kids fell in love. We did as well. So hopefully we can get back up there as well. Okay. Well, you've got a company to run. Uh, I appreciate your time. Thanks for uh, filling me in on this. It's really an education. Well, thank you. And I appreciate you you making the time to have me on the show. I love what the IBJ does. I love what it does for our business community. But, you know, just I, I'd like to believe that it's educating people and giving people, I think, the opportunity to, to get smarter every day when it comes to this, because I know I rely on it in that sense. Um, so thank you. Keep up what you're doing as well. Sure. When we edit this, I'm going to put that in the front. Just It's great. <laughs> I love it. Hey, thanks again for your time. Thank you. My thanks again to Morgan Lucas. And folks, before you get on with the rest of your week, there are a few stories in the latest issue of IBJ that I want to bring to your attention. First up, Eli Lilly and Company has struck pharmaceutical gold with its obesity drug, ZepBound. But the new drug carries a hefty price of $1,060 per month, and insurers and healthcare plans are balking questioning its affordability. John Russell explores the ramifications for patients and the overall healthcare cost debate. Also in this issue, Susan Orr reports the banking industry foresees an end to the slump in financial stocks. And Mickey Shuey explains how indie area logistics companies are using drones to help them track inventory inside their huge warehouses. And again, you can find these stories in the latest print edition of IBJ or online at ibj.com. And thanks again for making time this week for the IBJ podcast. I'm Mason King. Hang in there, everybody. We'll be back again next week.